Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another edition of Inside Arsenal with a fancy new intro that I'm sure you've all been waiting for. Let me know what you think about that. And as you can see on the screen in front of me, I'm not on my own today. It's one of those special days where I'm joined by a guest. And today's guest is a very special one as well, which I'm sure who need very little introduction. James McNicholas, A.K. Gunner Blog. How you doing, James? Thank you very much for joining me. I'm good, Charles. Thanks for having me on. Very excited to be here. Thank you very much. And if you haven't watched James's YouTube channel, uh, then head over to that as well. I'll leave a uh, link to it in the descriptions below. He's been really ramping that up in recent months and producing some fantastic content on there. So please do get over there to watch his shows during the week as well. And a bit of a reason, not the only reason, of course, because delighted to have James on to talk all things Arsenal. We'll be speaking about Mikel Arteta's press conference, uh, which he held this morning today, going over some of that. But Quite a big reason for him being on today is some exciting news that uh, James is going to be one of the special guests at the book launch night at the Tollington, which is two weeks today, just 14 days away. And I can't quite believe it is so soon. Uh, I've been talking about it in recent videos, urging you all to get down there if you can. And as you can see, if you're watching this on YouTube in front of you, there's a and a type section at 7.15 where we'll have a bit of a conversation, talk all things Arsenal and invite some questions from the audience. I'll have a couple of guests joining me, and James has very kindly agreed to be one of those guests. So thank you very much, James. I'm very much looking forward to you being a part of what hopefully is going to be a good night. Yeah, should be really good fun. Lots of interesting topics to talk about. The book, obviously, which I can't wait to read. Uh, the Champions League draws around that time. We've got uh, the transfer deadline the following day as well. So I'm sure there'll be lots of questions that you'll have uh, to ask us. And also, I'm excited about the drinks and refreshments which follow. Uh, no, drinks and refreshments. That's, yeah, that's drinks and refreshments. Incredible. <laughs> what is the difference? I have to say, I didn't design this, and uh, a few <laughs> people have picked up on that. And it's uh, yeah, it's interested me a little bit. Drinks and refreshments. What do they mean, James? What do they mean? We shall find out. Got to be there though at the Tollington if you want to know. 
You do. So if you are heading down, as you can see, doors open from about four. Books will be on sale. It's very kindly teaming up with the Stoke Newington Bookshop on the night, as well as the Tollington. Books will be on sale from about 4 p.m. onwards. I'll be doing some signing for a couple of hours leading up to the Q&A. Then after that, there'll be more opportunities to do some signings and uh, and yeah, and enjoy the drinks and refreshments. Please do come down because, as I said yesterday, I'm very worried that I'm going to be one of those sort of sad, lonely children that parents snap on social media when they've invited everyone to their kids' party and no one turns up. They're sitting there with a party hat on looking very sad. And I'm very afraid that I'm going to end up being a bit of a viral case like that. So At least I'll down. be there, Charles. You At will be. be and, and and my dad is going to be there as well. But maybe he'll be the person taking that sad photo that ends up <laughs> on social media. Anyway, enough about the book because everyone who watches this channel has probably been bored rigid of it over the last couple of days um so yeah we'll flick through this one as well pre-order now you can do that the pre-order link is below in the description alongside james's link to his youtube show let's talk about Mikel arteta let's talk about today's press conference bright and early if you missed it uh you probably won't be the only person who did that but he's been speaking at length about lots of topics Urian Timber, um, very much at the forefront of it as well. The really sad news, which was confirmed finally yesterday. The, um, the news we were all expecting that he has damaged his ACL and he will be out. Although they didn't put a time scale on it, James, let's face it. I'm not very hopeful that we're going to see him again this season. I'd be pretty surprised, would you? I wouldn't have thought so. I wouldn't have thought so. I think even if he is back training before the end of the season. It's hard to imagine him getting many opportunities. Uh, you know, you think of a player like Emil Smith-Rowe, you know, theoretically he was fit in the spring, but without that kind of competitive level, just didn't really get chances to get on the pitch. I think they will take their time with Timber. Arteta even said today there was something in his wording where he said, you know, we brought him in for a specific reason for qualities that he has, and he's not going to be able to offer those this season. So, I think the club are really thinking about it in those terms. Mm. It is a, a huge blow, as Arteta called it. And I just keep thinking as well, on a sort of personal level, how deeply disappointing, how gutting it must be for Timber himself, having made this move, you know, come over to the Premier League, come over to Arsenal. He was desperate to join, to have it all whisked away from him so early on. It's a cruel, cruel blow. It really is. I was listening to you and Andrew on, on the Arscast earlier this week and you were talking about it and you are spot on that, just for from him as a player, you know, this is his dream move. It's the one he really pushed for. He got it. He came over here, been made such an impact, pretty much the star of preseason. Let's face it. And then on your Premier League debut, which I imagine, you know, there was lots of his friends and family there to watch it. Such a massive occasion in his career to, you know, to have something like that happen. It's just such a blow. And you know, I think for an experienced Premier League player who's been around, you know, for years, it's facing up to what you're going to have to go through now is really, really difficult. You know, you're away from the rest of your squad. You're away from your teammates. For a young player coming from a different country, you know, to immediately be sort of ripped away from that dressing room environment and facing up to what he's got to deal with for the next sort of eight, nine months, you know, it's just a huge blow to him. As much as it's a blow to Arsenal and to Arteta, obviously, but to the player, it's just absolutely devastating. Yeah, and I think the club face some interesting decisions about how exactly he's going to go about that rehab. You know, ordinarily uh, with a foreign player, you might say, well, go and do a few months back home. But this Tim has literally just moved to England. So is that the right thing? Or is it better for him to spend the time doing all his rehab here and, and settling in and getting to know the country, getting to know the training ground? I mean, I, I'm sure he'll have lots of support from the club through this process, through this period. 
who knows? There'll maybe be a, a YouTube documentary as well out of it. Uh, the, the club have got a habit of doing those of late. And, you know, there'll be a comeback story for him. And the reception he'll get when that eventually happens will be tremendous and enormous. But right now, he's looking up at a mountain he's got to climb in terms of undergoing the surgery, hoping that's successful, and then months and months and months of what can be quite grueling, boring rehab work. You know, nobody really enjoys that aspect of it, but it's that determination to get back out on the pitch that helps the players get through it. And yeah, like I say, I feel for him and I feel for Arsenal because he was sensational, I think, in pre-season. It, purely in terms of fitting so smoothly into the team, you know, he looked like he was absolutely tailor-made for Mikel Arteta's system as a right-back, as a left-back, potentially as a centre-back as well. Um, and they're going to miss his quality. He, he looked like a really strong addition and it's kind of like, ah, oh, we thought we'd taken that step forward and now we're sort of back to where we started. Yeah, it's exactly that. You're basically left with the same options defensively that uh, that you had last season. And he had just, it's very rare you see a player transition so smoothly into a new team, especially when you've come from abroad. And he just he just looked like he'd been part of Arsenal for years, the way he was playing. And the versatility was going to give Mikel, you know, right back, left back, you know, potentially central areas as well. It's a huge blow. And Mikel said it here in the quotes from the press conference. He said it's a huge blow, especially for him having just joined the club. Uh, it's a huge disappointment for him. Obviously, for the team, it's a big blow because we recruited him with clear intentions and what he was bringing to the team was evident and he's not going to be able to do that for this season for us. We have to adapt. These things happen, unfortunately. We have to move on. When he talks there about adapting, I mean, everyone's looking at it thinking, are Arsenal going to you know, move to replace him? It's a difficult one, though, isn't it? You've just spent this huge amount of money on this player. And then to, you know, one injury, yes, it's a significant one. Yes, it could rule him out for the season. But are you really going to dip into the market to, to replace him? Because when he comes back, what happens then? It's a difficult one for the club. They've talked about, um, you know, Mikel here, he's saying about the transfer market and if he's going to change his attitude. He says, I'm more thinking about the resources we have within the team to keep doing what, you, uh, to do, doing what we want to do. It's true he was giving us very different things in terms of what we could do on both sides. Again, these things happen and we have to be prepared for that. What do you do? You, can you see them dipping into the market for this one? I think when they, you kind of look at it and you think if, if a really good opportunity arrives, potentially, I don't know, a loan or something like that, that might work. But I'd be surprised if they dip into the market and go out and spend big following this injury. So would I. And if you look at the David Ryer deal and the way that was structured, you know, I think it's reasonable to conclude that part of the reason it has that structure is that Arsenal don't have a ton of cash left over. They've spent an enormous amount of money this summer already. So I don't necessarily see, without uh, an avalanche of sales happening in the next couple of weeks, a situation where they could go out and spend kind of timber money again on another defender. And, and actually, like when you look at the defence, Arsenal have lost a lot of quality in timber, but they do still have a lot of numbers. Mm. Um, you know, Principally, he was playing fullback for us. I mean, you know, he started at left back against Forest. Zinchenko's back in training now. Tommy Asu obviously came on. Kivior was an unused substitute. And Kieran Tierney is still an Arsenal player and wasn't in the squad. And I think with stories today that Lewis Hall uh, looks to be headed for Newcastle, you know, that's another potential option for Tierney off the table uh, if it happens. So you've got big numbers at left back, right back. You've got Ben White, you've got Tomiyasu, Cedric Suarez is still on the books. We'll see for how long. Um, weirdly, I kind of feel like Timber's loss, although he would have played primarily as fullback, 
I almost it makes me worry about the centre backs more because one of the great advantages of Timber was that if you had uh, an injury to Gabriel or Saliba, say you could just switch Ben White inside or play Timber there, um, and you know play one at right back, one at centre back. I feel like now if you lose a centre half and you want to move Ben White in field, suddenly your options at fullback look a little bit slimmer. So. Yeah, it, for me, it's one of those things that makes me fret about that back injury to William Saliba. How over he is that? Um, are we going to see Gabriel back and playing week in, week out for Arsenal soon? It, it's just one of those things that, you know, as a fan, it gives you that sort of nagging worry in the back of your mind to not have him available. It does. I think the main reason for that, though, is just his quality. I, like you, I'm not overly concerned numbers-wise. They've still basically got the same options they had last season, and they were decent options. I mean, obviously, if you get a couple of quick injuries in quick succession like they did with Saliba and Tomiyasu against Sporting, it can become an issue. But I do look at the numbers they've got at the back and I'm not overly concerned. It's just that the fact that they've lost what looked like such a good player who was going to make yeah. such a big impact. It's just a, it is a it is a real blow for Arsenal and it, it is a real shame. And I think he would have played a lot of football because, you know, although people, when, it, when he first signed, people said, well, he's coming in, Ben White's the right back, what's he going to do? His versatility and the fact that he was, as Arteta said, a different type of defender, mm. I think he would have been used like really tactically in specific games. I think he would have played an awful, awful lot. So it's a big blow. Yeah. There's a question here from Daniel. He, he says, is it, is it a concern that Timber was clearly struggling before half-time, but was cleared to start the second half? Could this situation have been avoided? with a more cautious approach. It's a difficult one. There's I mean, I've seen it lots of lots. It's obviously it wasn't a great look that he was injured before half time. Then he came back out, he got injured again. You know, you sort of look at that and think, oh, but you know, Arsenal have got a very good medical team, very good medical department. They would have done all the checks that they needed to do at half time. It's, you know, obviously it's turned out to be a, a really devastating injury, but it's, it's I, I don't know. I look at it and I think it's hard to criticise the me- medical department because they would have done everything that they could have done in that short space of time. Maybe you could have erred on the side of caution and just decided not to do it, but they would have done all the checks that were needed at the time to think that he was okay. Yeah, I mean, from what I understand, you know, the club believe there is a, a decent possibility that the injury did happen in the first half, or at least like the majority of the injury. Um, but he wasn't really feeling the effects of it, you know, be that due to adrenaline or like, it, you know, it hadn't quite ruptured or it was just sort of, you know, was part way there, but not all the way there. And at halftime, he, he seemed for all the testing they did and all the questions they asked him, absolutely okay to carry on. Um, I think, I don't really blame the club in that situation. I think, you know, inevitably they're going to put him through whatever, you know, tests they require and they must have been content that he was all right. Uh, but I do wonder if it'll give Mikel Arteta some pause for thought. You know, we do, we are in an era now of five substitutes. We are in an era where Arsenal have a big squad, a really big squad and, you know, a deep squad. I do wonder next time, let's say a first team quality player is feeling a niggle and Arsenal are in a lead. Will he think, do you know what? I don't want to risk another timber situation. And it, it might be a learning moment almost for him as manager to think, I'm going to make this change proactively rather than wait for something to happen. Yeah, I think that's it. Maybe you could have erred on the side of caution, couldn't you? But I imagine all the information he received at the time from the from the medical staff was that he is okay to continue. But ultimately, it's a, it's, it's a judgment call, isn't it, at the, at the end of the day? Um, I just want to talk a little bit about Gabriel now. Um, 
Mikel said he was asked, I think it was Jordan at the Athletic asked him towards the end of the, the live section of today's press, presser whether he can sort of rule out any other defenders leaving. And he mentioned Gabriel. Now, Mikel didn't, obviously, because he never does talk about individual players and that. But he says there are no plans. There are not any plans on doing anything like that. Now, Gabriel was left out at the start in 11. I'm sure you were probably as surprised as I was when you saw that at the weekend. There is nothing... And I'm, I'm sure you're going to agree with me on this. There is, there is, I, I can't see any potential positive of letting Gabriel go between before now and the end of the winner. And I don't think it will happen. We've seen the links to Saudi. I think I had James Benj on the show a couple of days ago, and you know James is very well connected when it comes to the Saudi sides of things. And he he has heard that there is definitely interest there. He didn't know which club, but there is interest there. And so you would imagine Gabriel will know about that as well. Um, but there's just no reason to let Gabriel go. Is there? It would, it would just be a mad decision. Uh, at this stage, two weeks before the end of the window. Yeah, there is interest from Saudi Arabia, that much is sure. Um, whether there's interest elsewhere in Europe, as there has been previously in Gabriel in, in, in past summers, uh, the likes of Juventus, I, I don't know at this point in time. But uh, listen, I'm with you. I think it would be crazy for Arsenal to sanction any sort of deal that allowed Gabriel to leave the club. Um are you still there, Charles? I am sorry. I was just getting some socks out of my drawer for my son. <laughs> oh, right. Okay. <laughs> no, I, I, I think it would be madness because that partnership of Saliba and Gabriel has been so critical to Arsenal. Um, and to be fair, even before that, Gabriel and Ben White was a pretty decent partnership the season before. Mm. He's been the constant throughout. And watching the Community Shield, I felt like the way in which those two sort of shackled Haaland and kept him really pretty quiet uh, until he was substituted was a, a, a really significant thing to watch. And and I think we all know that if Arsenal are going to have any chance of winning the league this season, they probably have to beat Man City at some point. And I was just watching that game between Shield and thinking, if they're going to do that, they need Gabriel and Saliba on the pitch. Obviously, yeah. they didn't have that um, at all times uh, last season. And it was very costly right towards the end with Saliba's injury. But I, I would... Yeah, I'd be shocked if Arsenal sanctioned anything that allowed Gabriel to leave. Um, the only way in which I could see that happening is if there is, you know, something more to this omission uh, against Forest than, as our, as the club were seemingly calling it, a purely a tactical decision. Because we have seen in the past Arteta have falling outs with players or, you know, disagreements that have led to their departure. Even he if that is the case. He did bring him on though, didn't he? It's like we've seen yeah, him exactly. when he left him out against Spurs and, you know, Orbit was never coming on in that game. He was just sat on the bench. You knew he wasn't coming on, but he did turn to Gabriel in that in that Forest game, which makes me think, it's pretty, you know, I can't imagine it was something to do with that. And and, and we needed him, I think, mm. as well, because when Forest changed things up and they, you know, brought on the, the number nine, he was a real handful for us and, and Gabriel helped kind of steady the ship a bit. Um, I also think you've got to bear in mind the timing of this. Like, if there is this Saudi interest in Gabriel, maybe if it was at the start of the summer, then it's something Arsenal could consider and say, well, could we make an enormous amount of money on this player, a huge profit that enables us to bring in a different profile of centre-back that's someone that we really have tracked for a long time? You're now looking at it, what, a couple of weeks from the end of the window? A lot of the big premium centre-halves on the market have already moved. A lot of the guys who are most suited to Arsenal's game model have gone, are no longer on the table. So you'd be trying to replace a player in very short notice with many of your preferred options having already moved on. So I think it would be a really, really, really 
bad thing. Uh, and yeah, for that reason, I just think Arsenal, you know, they operate quite smartly these days. It just wouldn't be a smart decision to let him go at this point in time. No, it'd be a staggering one. Absolutely. I'm fully expecting him to come back into the side on Monday night away at Palace. I'd be really surprised if it's not get Gabriel and Saliba for that one. And even if someone did offer huge money now, like you said, with such a short time left at the window, if you then go to another club to bring someone in, they know you've got huge money because you just sold Gabriel. They know you've only got two weeks to sign someone. So you're going to have to probably chuck that straight back out the window and give it to another club as well. So it just it just makes absolutely no sense for such a key player. And he's such a leader behind the scenes as well now. Mikel's spoken about that a lot, how much he's sort of transitioned into a, a real leader in the, la- in the last 12 months. I, I just signed a new contract, didn't he, as well? You know, at the start of last season, I think. Um I mean, someone suggested to me, you know, a reader on Twitter said to me, do you think all this talk of Saudi could be anything to do with the fact that his centre-back partner has just signed what we imagine to be an extremely lucrative contract to Arsenal? And could this be a question of saying, well, look, we're a partnership with 50-50. Could it be all part of a game to kind of get closer to parity there? Who knows, perhaps. But uh, I really hope that this goes away and that Gabriel stays. And like you, I think if I was picking my best 11 for the Palace game, he'd absolutely be in it. Mm. Um, I think he's a different type of centre-half to anything else we've got in terms of his aggression, his physicality. I think his ability on the ball is, is vastly underrated. I think his distribution, you know, while it might not look as elegant as what William Saliba is doing, I think in terms of the structure of the team and the patterns of play, he knows it inside out. He really helps us progress the ball on that left-hand side. So, yeah, if Arsenal are going to have a really good season, I think that Gabriel Saliba partnership is absolutely critical. Yeah, I'd be a huge step backwards right, right, you know, a week into the new season. I'd be staggered. Just before I leave this slide, actually, I'm going to bring it back up. Because Mikhail was asking about, was also asked by Jordan about whether he has assurances that he could bring in new players if he wanted to. And he, he sort of discussed, said, there's lots of people involved, but it's not just down to me. But he said, we are in the middle of the competition. We are open in the transfer market both ways because we still have things to do both ways, maybe. Uh, that is my aim. Um, oh, sorry, I just made you disappear there, James. I'll bring you back on. Um, yeah, I thought that was quite interesting that he, he did mention that still have things to do both ways. Mm. Um, obviously, we know what's got to do in terms of outgoings you've mentioned about Kieran Tierney possibly going I think there's Flo Balogun, Laconga, Savares who we hear is potentially going to Nottingham Forest lots of things to do outgoings wise but still incomings wise I I thought that was quite interesting that he did hint that that there is still things for Arsenal to do whether that be potential replacement for Timber or maybe that long-awaited sort of cover stroke competition for Bukaya Saka on the right-hand side do you think are you sort of looking at these final two weeks of the transfer window as a real opportunity for Arsenal to do anything? Or do you think most of their business has been done in coming to Well, I think they're in quite a strong position because they have done some really good business. Yeah. And I think I don't think it would be a disaster by any means if they went in with what they've got. And I think it's a big priority to sell players. You know, I just think they need to balance the books and they need to reduce the size of the squad. In terms of incomings, I think it's going to be about kind of opportunities that might present themselves like you say, a defender as cover. You mentioned a loan earlier. I think that's plausible. I think, you know, if there is a loan deal to be done out there, that would actually make quite a lot of sense. And yeah, the the other one that everyone keeps asking me about, and I think the fan base have all got eyes on, is that kind of right wing spot. Um, I don't think we should underestimate the degree to which Mikel Arteta considers Reese Nelson for that position and sees him as part of his plans. He's always been very, you know, full of praise for Reese and his ability and his talent. And obviously they've given him a new contract, but 
yeah, I would feel more secure if Arsenal brought in someone who um, I think could really compete with Bukayo and, you know, enable us to rotate without uh, without sort of sufficient, you know, weakening the side to a great degree. I think, you know, he's, Arteta says he's all about competition and mm. I'm sure we'll come on and talk about the goalkeepers. But then let's have that all through the team if we can. Yeah, it's so high. It's almost like the Spurs-Harry Kane situation while he was still there, isn't it? It's like, what right winger in their right mind would sign for Arsenal now? Yeah. And you know you got you know you got Saka in front of you. You're just not going to play that many games. You've got a player who, touch wood, I don't actually want to say this because it's going to curse him, but never gets injured despite getting kicked up in the air constantly. Always plays, always performs. It's, it's a really hard sell, I would imagine, bringing someone in. But I do agree that, that it is an area where you just feel a lot more comfortable if there was someone. Obviously, Reese is, is a sort of naturally a right-sided player, but I think Mikel does prefer him out on the left, where we tend to see him, isn't he, when he comes on for mm. um, for Arsenal. But other than other than Reese, you've got Havertz potentially going over there. You know, Trossard can do a job, but it is the one area in the squad when Mikel talks about it, and we will get onto the goalkeepers when he says you want two. Two position, two players for every position. That is the one that you sort of look at and think there's maybe a glaring omission there um, from that. Um, oh what am I doing with it? I'm normally really up to, up to it on these. Uh, it's funny because I, th- I think the second best right winger in the squad is probably Gabriel Jesus. But yeah, that is true. He's, he's needed through the middle, you know. Yeah, we saw it a little bit towards the end of last season, didn't we? He started playing a little bit more over on that right-hand side than we've mm. perhaps seen him up, up to that point. I've got a, a comment here from Neat and Cleats. You said, a couple of controversial opinions. Gabriel is not the rock-solid defender most people think he is. Sometimes panics and makes costly mistakes, constantly fouling, especially bigger forwards. People act like it's mad to lose him, but if we did, we could definitely upgrade. Now, could we upgrade with this little time in the window? Probably not, but he's far from untouchable. He doesn't even make the Brazil squad. Also, if KT... It's so great. How come literally no offers for him? He's good traditional left back for sure, but no club will pay over him. I, I mean, I totally disagree really about Gabriel. There was a, a point in time where he was making a few errors. It was maybe a little bit of rash, but I think as that's certainly last season progressed, he got that out of his game pretty well and was a very, really key player. I thought the second half of last season, he was Arsenal's best centre-back, even before Saliba's injury. Um, and I think the reason he didn't make the Brazil squad was the, the, one of the, I think the Brazil coach came out, didn't he? Or the technical director saying that he didn't get considered because he, he left to go and see the birth of his child or something. So it was, there's a weird reason why he didn't make the Brazil squad. Mm-hmm. KT one is, is interesting. Are you surprised at really the lack of firm offers for Tierney. I mean, I was fully expecting quite a few clubs to be in for Tierney and Arsenal to probably generate a little bit of a bidding war this summer, such as his quality and his age and, and everything. Are you a little bit surprised that we, we haven't quite seen this interest in Tierney that probably most of us were expecting? Yes, I am. I thought that he was a player who looked maybe a bad fit at Arsenal in, in the current system that Arteta's playing, but I could see him walking into a lot of other Premier League teams. Mm. And, you know, as I say, Newcastle have been linked with him across the summer. Stories today suggest they're going to pay the best part of £30 million for uh, Lewis Hall uh, of Chelsea. Um, and, you know, I thought that money would be going into Arsenal's pocket, frankly. I, I mean, thinking about it, I wonder if maybe there's concern out there in the Premier League about his fitness record. Could that be a factor? Um, you know, he has had that reputation for being a little bit brittle. At Arsenal and prone to injury, maybe that's a consideration for clubs who were parting for a lot of money with a lot of money potentially for him. 
I think Arsenal have been pretty clear with the market that they would expect north of £30 million for the player. And so far, that's been an obstruction. And a lot of the interest that has been there, say Sociedad, realistically, that would probably be a loan. Um, so, but yeah, I am surprised because I think he's a, a, a very good footballer. I also wonder, is it just sort of fashion? You know, it, it, is is his style of fullback not particularly in fashion this summer? I've noticed a lot of teams on the opening weekend doing the kind of inverted fullback thing rather than the kind of classic overlapping. Mm-hmm. I just wonder, is it kind of bad timing for Tierney? Yeah, it might be so. But I mean, if Newcastle are really going to be spending 30 million on a player, I think I, re- I read it, it is going to be a loan, isn't it, with an obligation to buy next summer, potentially, if it goes through. Right. 30 million for Lewis Hall. He's played what, a handful of Premier League games when Tierney's available. You know, I'm surprised. I honestly thought that was just going to be a, a given, that transfer. I thought he'd go to Newcastle. I thought it'd be done relatively early and and it'd be yeah wrapped up. So I'm really surprised. And it does sort of beg the question as what the season holds for Tierney. And Mikel was speaking about him in, in the press this day. And we've basically seen Mikel try every single option ahead of Tierney this summer, hasn't he? Like, every single option available to him. But whenever Tierney came on, Despite that, I thought Tierney had a really good pre-season. I thought he played well. He looked hungry. He made a difference. Mikel even spoke about that and how impressive he'd been. But um, he was asked in a press conference whether the injury to Timber could be an opportunity for Timber uh, for Tierney. He said it's an opportunity for everyone. We're going to need everybody. Um, the numbers we have in the squad, especially those positions, are more limited now. So everybody has to be ready. He was asked if Tierney's part of his plans. He said yes, basically pointed to the fact that he'd been involved in the Community Shield final a few days before. Um, then was asked if Tierney was disappointed not to be involved against Forrest. And he said, I hope so. Yes, it'll be interesting if Kieran comes back into the squad. I thought it was very harsh for him to not even make the matchday squad against Forrest. I know Arsenal got a lot of options now, but for a player of Tierney's quality, his standing, how well he'd done in pre-season, to, to not even make the bench, I thought was was pretty harsh. And Yeah, I, I'm intrigued to see what happens with uh, Kieran. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Right, let's move on to the goalkeepers now. Um, this has been... I mean, I was in Portugal when the story broke about Arsenal and David Raya. And um, mm. so I was kind of watching it from afar, quite happy not having to get involved in it, not make any phone calls and find out what was going on. But it's just been such an interesting one to follow and the sort of potential fallout from it. Now, I know you're a big Aaron Ramsdale fan. You like him. I am as well. I think he's been excellent since he's come to Arsenal. And the two number one goalkeepers, I think, will represent a problem at some stage, certainly in the long term. I can't see them both staying for the long term. 
you know, Mikel was talking it up today and asked about Raya and why he signed. If you're watching this on YouTube, you can see his comments now, but he basically just said, look, we want two players in every position. Um, he says, uh, with what happened to Urien, it can happen to our goalkeeper. It's happened to Courtois at Madrid. You need to be prepared because the question is, what, what is it? Two goalkeepers of this size. And if Ramsdale was to sustain a cruciate, then what do you say? You can change everything. So we have to be prepared. We have to be proactive. He took, went on to talk about he's very happy on it. And that there is no number one. How do you see this playing out, James, over the sort of course of the season, maybe the first two months? I mean, it's Ramsdale's jersey right now. So it's up to Raya to dis- dispose him and take that jersey off, off him. But if I was Aaron Ramsdale, I'd be looking at this and it would be very difficult not to be slightly concerned about the, your long-term prospects of being number one Arsenal with, with David Rye coming in. Yeah, I think any goalkeeper who's the incumbent goalkeeper and then the club go out and buy a goalkeeper of kind of equivalent or similar ability, similar price tag, I think it's inevitable to think that you're going to have a, a fight on your hands. And I think the momentum is always maybe going to be with the new man in that situation. I mean, Aaron will know that better than anybody because he came in in a similar position under Bern Leno, you know, and was told, well, you're the number two for now, but you'll get your chance. And I think he got that chance far sooner than even he anticipated, you know, because Mikel made a lot of changes after those opening three games and Ramsdale came in and uh, that was kind of, that was that. Um I think, obviously, David Rye's got a really good relationship with the goalkeeper coach. They work together at Brentford. There's a, a big connection there. And, uh, you know, he's, he clearly suits the game model. I mean, Arteta said that today. That was a big part of the thinking. Rye can play the kind of football we want to play in a way that Matt Turner couldn't. Um, I completely take Mikel's point about competition. I think competition is really healthy. You want everyone to be on their toes. I suppose that the subject that is up for debate is, is goalkeeper different? Some goalkeepers say it is, some say it's not. I saw David Seaman saying when Richard Wright was signed by Arsenal, it helped me become a better goalkeeper. It pushed me on. I could tell they were trying to replace me and force me out. And I raised my game accordingly. Peter Schmeichel said, I never wanted a strong number two. I wanted the certainty of it. Even if I made a mistake, I was going to be in next week. Otherwise, it would have affected my confidence. I mean, what do you think, Charles? Do you think goalkeeper should be different from the outfield positions or not? I think it has to be. I, I really do. I just don't. I, I saw Mikel's comments today. He was saying, "Well, we've got three, you know, brilliant defensive midfielders in Jorginho, Party, and Declan Rice, and no one talks about that." And I kind of get that, but when you're in that position, there's substitutes. You can bring those players on. You get them minutes. They play. You can rotate. It just doesn't happen with goalkeepers, and so there is just a difference there. And you talked about, I thought that was really interesting what Peter Schmeichel said. You know, how's Ramsdale going to deal with this? You can either really kick on, play well and be challenged for this shirt and raise your game. Or you can just have these slightly negative thoughts in the back of your mind, can't you? If, if you make mm. one mistake, that could be it. You're out and then, you know, then you're in a real battle to ever play again. And it's, it'd be really hard, I think, even for an elite professional player to play with that at the back of their mind. And I think Aaron Ramsdale is going to have to do that now because everyone's going to be looking at, him, looking at him. If he makes a single error... Straight away, the narrative is going to be, oh, David Raya should, should come in. We need David Raya to come in. So I think it's really difficult to play at the very top level and to play at your very best with that nagging away at the back of your mind. You've got to be immensely strong, I think, character-wise and mentality-wise to put that to one side and continue to perform. And we know Aaron is a fantastic character and he's a brilliant personality and he is strong mentally. He's shown that with some of the stuff he's had to deal with. We saw in the interview that he came out with um, 
recently that the stuff he's had to deal with and he's still been able to perform at the top level with that. So he he does maybe have that on the side of his game, but I think it's really hard. I, it, I, I look... Go on. Sorry, Charles. I was just going to say it really depends on the personality of the individual. Mm. You know, I'll do my obligatory um, athletic plug, but we've, we're lucky to have a, a guy writing for us called um, Matt Pazdrowski, who was a professional goalkeeper. He played in the United States and he played in Sweden. And he wrote a piece for us this week off the back of this Ryan News about what happened to him when his club in Sweden brought in another goalkeeper. I think it was like the same age, equivalent experience, equivalent ability. And he said it just kind of gnawed away at him. He was very honest Mm. about it. He was like, every time I was playing, I was looking over at him on the bench and thinking, if I drop one, I'm out. And there are certain personality types who, you know, that will happen. And then there are others who, maybe more in the seaman mould, will will sort of see that challenge and rise to it. I think it's a bit reductive to say that like one is better and one is stronger and one is weaker. I just think, you know, in some in the same way that certain outfield players, some respond well to like discipline and telling off, and some really need an arm round the shoulder. Shoulder goalkeepers are the same, and this will come down to kind of which one of those Aaron Ramsdale is ultimately. Mm. Yeah, 100%. I thought it was quite interesting, actually. Did you see um, Matt Turner's comments in the mix zone last week after the game when he was speaking to some of the some of the Arsenal pack down there in the mix zone? He said that whenever he thought he played a good game in one of the cup competitions Aaron, and the door was slightly ajar, Aaron would come in the next game and have like two or three really excellent games straight away and just slam that door closed straight away, which I thought was quite an interesting comment. And that, again, that might show a lot about the character and the personality of Aaron Ramsdale, that he's, he's been sort of driven on by that competition rather than anything. But this is a whole new level of competition. I think we all knew, I mean, no matter what Aaron Ramsdale did, he wasn't going to get he wasn't going to get uh, moved aside for Matt Turner last season. But I think we all know that if, if Aaron does go through a little bad spell now, then Mikel will have no qualms in taking him out for the Premier League or the Champions League and bring him back in. I did, people have mentioned, you know, can you have a, can you have with the Champions League on offer as well? Can you basically have two goalkeepers now, you know, but cup competitions and Champions League, two top quality keepers. Can you give everyone enough games by having one of them play in those cup competitions and the Champions League and then the other play primarily in the Premier League? Do you think that could, that could work? I think that's how it will work in the first instance, if I'm honest. That's how I see this going for the first few months. And actually, something that I don't think many people have talked about is that from next season, I think I'm right in saying there are going to be more Champions League games. Um, When the Champions League format shifts, you know, you could be playing quite a lot of football in Europe if you're in the Champions League. And it may be possible for a period to keep two players happy in that respect. In the long term, though, I do think, you know, we know about Arteta. When it gets to the crunch in competitions, he does pick his number one. He does revert to his preferred choice. And so even if you're the group stage goalkeeper for the Champions League, I feel like once you get into the knockouts there's and once you get into the run-in for the Premier League, there will be a decision. So I think, you know, we'll, we'll kind of know how this is going to go more so in the second half of the season. Um the, the one thing I would say about Ramsdale is I am a fan of his and I think he's been a good signing and I think he's done well for two years. But if you ask me when he was had his best spell uh, in an Arsenal shirt, I would probably say those first few months when he had to win the shirt from Bern Leno and prove himself as the number one, they may have been his best period of consistent form. Um, so this may be precisely what he needs. I, I don't know. How do you see it going? 
Well, I, I think I think Raya will be number one at some point. Maybe not straight away. Certainly not as not as quickly as we saw with Ramsdale and Leno. But I'd I'd be very surprised if Raya doesn't eventually get that number one jersey. I just mm. I don't know if you were him. Would you really sign for Arsenal if you hadn't had some sort of assurances that you know that shirt was up for grabs? I just don't know. He could have waited it out of Brentford, even if he didn't get the move he wanted this summer. He could have had his pick of clubs next summer and a free agent. But he made the move to Arsenal now with Ramsdale there, and I just think reading between the lines, I think he, there must have been some sort of assurances given the fact that Anaki Kana's there sort of adds even more weight to it. I think and. Yeah, I'd be surprised. And being very harsh, well, not harsh, because I, I, I'm a big fan of Aaron Ramsdale. I think he's been brilliant on the pitch, off the pitch as well. But I think if you were being really sort of, you were looking at that 11 that we all saw from Arsenal last season, and the 11 that we basically w- was the starting 11, if you were singling out, right, how do we get to the very, you know, the top level? How do we move this on again? I think that I think goalkeeper is probably one of the positions you would have looked at and thought as good as he is and as good as he's been, maybe that's an area where we could improve to go to the next level. I don't know, but yeah, I, I think ultimately is I think it's gonna be difficult for Aaron to stay on. If he does it, fair play because it'll be great for Arsenal because his performances will be top, top level. But I think it's gonna be difficult. Yeah, I think that's I think that's what will be fascinating because you know, Aaron, we've got a young squad. But I'd say as a goalkeeper, he's probably further from his sort of peak age of performance than a lot of these outfield players are. Um, and I think if you were able to kind of bring in Allison tomorrow, let's say, then no one would question that that was a clear upgrade. I think what's interesting about Raya is, well, I, th- I can see that there are areas in which he is superior to Ramsdale. They are, so, it does feel like they are pretty close yeah. in terms of ability. Um, so yeah, that's why I think it's going to be a real battle. And yeah, I think as the guy coming in, as I say, the momentum is with you and I would rather be the guy sitting on the bench waiting for mistakes to happen than the guy in the goal in a way who like any goal that hits the back of the net can be questioned. That's the difficulty of being a goalkeeper. Um, but we'll see. I think, as I say, I think it's a story we're going to see play out over a season rather than as with Ramsdale and Leno a few weeks. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely not going to be as quick as that. The spotlight's definitely going to be on him, though. Um, I'm fully expecting he'll be in goal for the for the game on Monday night against Palace. Um, sort of team news-wise from Mikel at a press conference today, he says on Zinchenko, he said he's doing well, he's been training with us, hopefully we're going to have him available very soon. On other team news, he said, uh, nothing new, Gabriel Jesus still not available, but the rest are all good. If you're watching this on YouTube, that is the lineup we saw against Nottingham Forest. I've already said that I think Gabriel comes back into the team for Palace. Uh, I think Ben White's going to shift back out to right back. I'd be surprised if we don't see that happening. Probably Tommy Asu at left back. Maybe Zinchenko. We saw he trained yesterday, posted a picture from training yesterday. Zinchenko um, clearly been doing full contact and, and he's back. He said how happy he was back in the sort of caption of that picture. So maybe Zinchenko comes in the team. We've seen him thrown straight into starting lineups before from Mikel when you probably thought he might take it easy and put him on the bench. But what do you expect him team-wise against Palace from the sort of changes from what we saw against um, against Forest? Can you see the party right-back experiment continuing? Or do you think, like me, we'll probably revert back to more of the sort of back four that we saw last season? I think so. And I think if Zinchenko is 70, 75% fit, I think he'll be on that pitch. Yeah. You know, we've seen that from Mikel previously. He regards him as so important. Um, 
in midfield and up top is where it could be interesting. You know, I think Partey will play probably, probably at the base of midfield. And then, uh, you know, Declan Rice, I, I think, will also play. Um, so then that leaves a question mark over sort of where do you fit Havertz in? Could Havertz go up top potentially with Eddie dropping out? Be very harsh on Eddie because he played well against Forrest and scored a goal. But um, I wouldn't preclude that, actually. I, I do wonder if that might that might be the way it goes, that Havertz plays from the nine and, and Rice is in the midfield. What do you think higher up the pitch? Yeah, I, I, I kind of agree. I wouldn't be at all surprised to see Havertz as, as the nine and Eddie having to make way. It's like you said, harsh on Eddie. Mikel spoke about how he kind of forced his hand with his performances in training and got himself into the starting 11 against Forest, and then he goes and scores. And then, so to leave him out the next game is potentially a little bit harsh, but I wouldn't be surprised on that. Like you, I think Partey comes into midfield. I think he needs to. And he'll play maybe Declan Rice a little bit further forward. We know the threat that Palace are going to have. They played well on the opening weekend. I think they had yeah. like 25 shots against Sheffield United away from home. Only scored one, um, which potentially is going to be a bit of a problem for Palace all season, scoring goals, especially with um, Zaha going and Elise probably going as well. So... But they're a strong team. They're a big team. They're always a threat from set pieces. And you kind of look at Arsenal. If you've got Gabriel Saliba, you've got White as right back, you've got Declan Rice and Thomas Partey, maybe even Kai Havertz in there as well. That's a very big team. You know, physically imposing team Arsenal could potentially have a way at Sellers Park to deal with set pieces and, and everything else. So, yeah, I, I, I agree. I, I, I wouldn't be at all surprised to see Havertz go as that, as that nine and Eddie potentially make way. Yeah, and obviously the the guys on the flank, Saka and Martinelli, are an automatic pick. And uh, but but Palace are an interesting team. Goal scoring always a problem for them. It seems season on season. Um, Zaha's obviously gone now. Elise looks to be going to Chelsea. I must say, a player I like, Elise for me, you know, would have been one of those options maybe for the Saka backup on the on the right hand side. I think he's cheap as well. Good good price for um, release clause. Yeah, exactly, thirty five million or so. Um, I feel like that was a deal that was there to be done. But, you know, uh, Chelsea are very busy, as usual. Very busy, indeed. Staggeringly busy, in fact. Um, yeah, uh, honestly. I was, I was listening to you and Andrew on, on the Arscast talking about it. and I just don't get it. I've seen all the explainer pieces, how Chelsea can spend 900 million in three windows, but mm. I, still, I still don't. Even even after reading them all, I still don't really understand how, how they can quite be doing this, despite the money. And they have brought in decent money, and we gave them a big chunk of it, 65 million for Havertz. But... Um, but yeah, I still it still blows my mind the the sort of money they're spending, the way they're accumulating the players as well. I mean, they got Madueke there, haven't they? And they're just signing. It's just like, do you need all these players? Where are they going to play? You saw the problems it caused last season. If they don't get some more out between now and the end of the window, it's just it just feels like Poch is going to have the exact same problems that um, that they, the managers had to deal with last season. Maybe, but they always seem to kind of land on their feet, don't they? They always seem to find a solution. You know, they had they managed to sell a load of players to the Saudi league. Um, which obviously kind of bailed them out a little bit. And then even you look at someone like Lewis Hall, you know, as you say, not someone with vast amount of Premier League experience, but they managed to find a buyer for him. Uh, a price Arsenal can't seem to find a buyer for anyone. I know, um, pure pure profit as well, wasn't it? That go down on the, yeah. on the accounts with the academy, uh, academy link. So positive for them. All right, before we wrap this up, just a couple of questions to um, from viewers to um, discuss before we go. It's one from Ollie Max. Hi, Charles. Are you happy as some of us at Charlie Patino only went out on loan? What are your thoughts on him? Aside from thinking he's a good player, do you think whoever making it to the first team had any updates on Balogun? What are the chances of seeing him in action at all this season before he leaves? We'll start. I'll talk about Patino first of all and see what you think on it. I mean, I'm happy that he's only gone out on loan. I think it's been a 
it's been a complicated summer when it comes to Charlie Patino and his future and what was going to happen at the start of it. It very much looked like he was going out permanently. That changed as the summer wore on. And for, you know, before I went on Portugal away on Portugal, I spoke about it. That I heard that it was probably going to end up being a loan now. Obviously, no new deal has been signed, and that means it will have a year left at the end of the summer, so at the end of next season. So, you know, whether what it means for his long-term future at Arsenal, we'll have to see. But from a personal point of view, I think it's a really good move for him. Swansea is a good fit. It's a, you know, got Premier League facilities. I think he's going to play really well in a passing team. And I saw he made a big impact on his first game when he came off the bench at the weekend. So I'm really happy for him on that. But, you know, will he make the first team? I I think the problems or the reasons why Arsenal were willing to facilitate a transfer this summer at the start of it aren't going to go away. I don't see that pathway dramatically opening for him opening for him by the time this season has come to an end and I still think ultimately he'll probably end up moving on uh, next season but I don't know if you agree with me there James yeah I think so I think it would take something pretty remarkable from him this season to to make Arsenal kind of reconsider his place in their plans yeah but he is a remarkable talent so I wouldn't rule that out entirely um, but if I was having to place a bet on it, I'd say, yeah, ultimately, I think his future will lay elsewhere. But I like, because we want to see our academy boys do well. And in, in, in an ideal world, we want to see them good enough to play in an Arsenal shirt. I like that at least he's got another 12 months of opportunity to kind of state his case. Because I yeah. think Charlie Patino is going to have a good career, whatever happens ultimately, if, whether it's at Arsenal or elsewhere. Yeah. Yeah, and I think a good spell at Swansea this season, even if he'll only have a year left next season, I think he's, you know, he could really dramatically improve his price tag over mm. the next 12 months. I mean, what, what was the guy at Bristol City who had a brilliant years, just moved to Bournemouth. That was about 25, 30 million. It was Scott, wasn't it? Yeah, we want um, some of that Lewis Hall money, you know. That's, yeah. that's what we need. <laughs> that's exactly what we need. One, and, and I think we'll get that for Balogun, the second part of this question. Um, what chances seeing him in action this season? I, I don't think they're very high. I think he goes between now and the end of the summer. Monaco's still sniffing around whether they come back and put in another bid that is more is, you know, that tempts Arsenal into doing business. We'll have to wait and see, but I'd be very surprised. I have to say, if we get to the end of the window and Balogun's still an Arsenal player, is that your opinion as well? A hundred percent. I mean, I, I spoke on the Arscast about the, the first team players page on Arsenal.com and certain players pitchers haven't been updated for the new season. <laughs> I saw that. Flo, Flo Balogun is among those. Um, I mean, I, I just saw stories about an hour or so ago uh, in the mail about Fulham potentially yeah. being interested in Balogun. There's some talk of Mitrovic going. Um, listen, it's kind of a, it's the double-edged one because I'd love for him to go abroad because it means, you know, we don't run that risk of it coming back to bite us and him, uh, you know, scoring us against us every time we play. But the Premier League is where the money is. So yeah. if we really want to turn a big profit on this player, Premier League interest I think would be helpful. So, yeah, interested to see if that develops at all. Yeah, I saw Mitrovic, 50 million. That's that's supposedly going through today. I had a message from a Fulham fan, actually, one of my mates, who said about that. And I, and I mentioned Balogun. So, <laughs> give us that 50 million right back if uh, yeah. if that happens. And, yeah, that'd be handy for us. And West Ham as well. I still look at West Ham and I think Balogun would be a good fit for him. And, um, yeah, they certainly need a striker. So, we'll see what happens there. And finally... Um, I was speaking yesterday on news that I had that Arsenal were really sort of stepping up contract talks with Martin Odegaard to try and get something done. Not Im- immediately, obviously, these things take time, as we've seen. Um, but on this sort of point here from uh, 
won the ball, I think it is. So an offering MO a new contract is a great idea with Saudi clubs giving players silly money, not only in the transfer market, but player wages will go through the roof over the next five years and head will be turned. When you look at what's happening at Saudi, and we're kind of seeing it a little bit potentially now with Gabriel. And, mm. you know, is it, at what stage do you think clubs, Premier League clubs, will really start to worry about, you know, the, the top players that we're seeing, you know, the Odegaards, the Sackers, the Rashford, you know, any, any of those sort of players. I think at the moment they're probably fairly confident, the top Premier League clubs, that they're not going to lose those type of players to Saudi yet. But if this continues for one, two seasons, do you think it is going to be a real concern? Because you know money does talk at the end of the day, even for the very, very top players. Yeah, I think until now, a lot of the acquisitions for Saudi from Europe have been players towards the end of their career or players who are in a bind, a sticky situation with their current club and need an escape route. Yeah. You know, Neymar would be a, an example there. Um, and I've sort of said consistently that the guys who are starting regularly for top six Premier League clubs haven't really shown an interest in making that move. And for that reason, I feel like Gabriel would be a bit of a watershed. I think mm. that would be a moment that Arsenal and other Premier League clubs would have to really sit up and take notice and say, you know, we've... And this is all hypothetical at this stage, but you know, were he to express interest in making that move or, or push for it, that would be a big moment because it would be a guy who's like starting, you know, he's got Champions League football on offer on a very, very healthy salary, looking at the money on offer elsewhere and saying, you know, I've got to go for it. And I do wonder as well, like, I think we have to remember that for foreign players, especially players from outside Europe, they've already changed continent for their living. They've already gone to somewhere that's unfamiliar to them where, you know, they're far away from their family. And often they come from backgrounds which are, you know, not as economically strong. So when an offer presents itself and it's like you could make you and all your families outrageously rich for as long as you could possibly imagine, it is it is going to hold some sway. Um, so, uh, yeah, I, I, as I've watched the kind of sadly develop over the course of the summer, I still think we're away from them sort of truly threatening and taking the, the top, top players away from the Premier League. But it would only take one or two mm. for that to suddenly change quite quickly. And everything we hear coming out of Saudi suggests that they are here for the long haul and they're very, very serious about making this a, a strong league. Um, you know, this isn't going to be a flash in the pan in the same way that the Chinese Super League was. So yeah. it's going to be really interesting. Uh, what, what do you make of it all? Yeah, very similar to what you've just been saying there. I do. I think the Champions League is a key point to this. And I've seen stories mm -hmm. that they're potentially in discussions with UEFA about trying to find a way of getting into the Champions League. I think if I'm that sure happens, they are. I'm sure that's true. Yeah. But then they'd have to, the, the way they're operating financially at the moment would have to be completely obliterated because that just couldn't fall under what the rules that UEFA have for their for teams in their competitions at the moment. I think obviously Saudi don't have to fall under those reg regulations at the moment, which is allowing them to do what they're doing money-wise but if they were True. to come into the Champions League they wouldn't be able to to operate like that would they? they they couldn't have like the state couldn't own surely couldn't own the top four clubs like they do now and basically buy players and then place them in those clubs like, it, that would have to change and they'd have to fall more in line of what how how Europe operates surely so I think that's the key thing but if they did manage to get in the Champions League then for players it would be even more of a enticing prospect wouldn't it because yeah you'd still be able to compete in that competition which most of them certainly still look up at as as the competition they want to play in yeah that's it and I, you know we have got a generation of players who 
grew up admiring the Premier League, admiring the Champions League, and for whom playing in the Champions League is kind of the fulfilment of a dream. For them, that is professionally like where they want to be. So I think the big clubs in England have that going for them for now. But I just think that in the end, money always seems to talk mm. in sport. And if money keeps being thrown around at these levels, it feels like a matter of time until the balance of power begins to shift somewhat. So uh, let's just say I'm very glad that the news that you've brought us that Arsenal are accelerating contract talks with Martin Odegaard. I hope they can get that uh, locked down sooner rather than later. Yeah, and if they do that, then pretty much everyone's locked down, aren't they? And that's a yeah, mm. excellent work by Edu and the uh, the team. All right, that's it. We're hitting nearly 55 minutes here, so I've kept you far longer than I thought I was going to, James. So apologies for that. And thank you very much for joining me. And thank you again for agreeing to be part of the book launch in the two weeks tonight at the Tollington. If you're still watching this after 55 minutes, then please do get yourself down for that. Thank you, James. Thank you for joining me. It's been a pleasure, and I'll speak to you very, very soon, mate. Cheers, mate. Bye-bye. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 